particular book in the Bible and work my way through it, reading a different passage every day. But the last couple of years, I've been doing something called Lectio Divina, which is a time-honored tradition going over centuries of reading God's Word. And actually, Lectio Divina means reading with God. So read the same passage over and over and over and over and pray about it again and again and again till God reveals some truths on the passage. And sometimes he'll reveal 10, 11, 12 different things he wants to teach you from one wee passage. So, and sometimes um, I find he's putting together a passage and then direct me to another passage which I'll read over for weeks at a time. And so today I've got a culmination of six different passages that God's been joining some dots on, which I'm going to share this morning. So please bear with me as we go through a lot of scripture, and then I'm going to deliver what I believe is a word for our church today, a word for our church for next year. And I say that not lightly when I say I'm bringing a word. And a word should always be tested when a word is shared. You should go away and pray about it and, and make sure that you feel that God's speaking to you about it, etc. And make sure that it's not just my words, but it's God's word. So we're going to start today uh, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, and reading from verse 36. That's Matthew 26, reading from verse 36. So if you've got your Bibles and would like to follow along. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. I find that an incredible passage. Firstly, mainly because Jesus is struggling in this passage. It's the only time in Scripture that we see Jesus struggling. And I think it's important that we realize that Jesus is 200%. He is 100% God and 100% man at the same time. And he knows what's about to happen. He knows how this story is going to unfold. He knows the pain that awaits him, this horrible death. But what he's struggling with is not the plan. He's invested in the plan. He's always known the plan. What he's struggling with is 
for the first time in his entire existence, he's going to have to be separated from God. That when he goes to die on the cross, he has to become our sin, and God can fellowship with sin. Jesus will be divorced from God for a time. He'll be separated from God, and that's what he's struggling with. The second thing that really hits me about this passage is that his best friends, his chosen 12, well, 11 at this time, are with him, and he's basically saying to them, brothers, friends, I'm struggling. My goodness, I'm overwhelmed by this to the point of death. Will you, will you pray with me? Will you stick with me on this? I need you to be with me. And these guys are saying, sure, no problem. We're here for you every step of the way, shoulder to shoulder. We're here for you. Whenever you need us, we are here. And he comes back. He walks back to see them, and he can hear the snoring. <laughs> and he's shaking his head and saying, oh, my goodness. And he's got to wake them up. And he watches them wipe the drool from their face. You know that little snail trail you get sometimes? <laughs> Boys, what are you doing? I've asked you to pray. Can you not stay awake for one hour? This is the worst moment of my life. I need you now more than ever. And you need to pray as well because you need to watch you're not going to fall into temptation. There's going to be a hard journey ahead. And you need to be ready. Now, will you pray? Aye, sure we will. That's fine. We've got this. We're behind you. Then you worry about us. We've got your back. And he comes back again. And he hears the snoring. Rumor has it, I snore from time to time. <laughs> but it's only when I've got a cold, it's a medical thing, you understand. <laughs> Three times, Jesus comes back after pleading with his brothers, will you pray with me? And they say yes, but they're sleeping. Unfortunately, that's a bit like the Western church right now. Yes, Jesus, we'll do whatever you ask us to do. We're on it. We're with you every step of the way. But when it comes down to it, we're sleeping instead of praying. We are sleeping instead of praying the Western church. And yes, that means us too. There are some great prayer praying people in this church. And thank God for them. Even for me coming to speak today, I had a message from a brother in this church to say, I'm praying for you. I love that. I had a message from a sister in this church yesterday. I'm praying for you. And all I'm doing, all I'm doing is just delivering a message this morning. But Jesus was about to deliver the whole of mankind and needed his best friends. Will you be with me this hour? Will you pray? Yes, we will. I'm going to come back to that. Next, let's turn to John's Gospel, chapter 18. John 18, reading it from verse 1. Uh, next slide, Nathan, please. I've not got the clicker, no. That's okay. There's only half a dozen here, fine. Thank you. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with the disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. 
They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Important thing to take from this scripture is that the good news is we're on the winning side. When you're in God's camp, when you're in union with Jesus Christ, you're on the winning side. The Bible tells us that, that we're on the winning side. And even in this moment, as Jesus was about to be arrested, he willingly went, but he had this little demonstration of his power first. I am Jesus. And boom, God's power came and knocked all these unbelievers on their backside. When you read that verse, in verse 6, when Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. I don't know if you ever had that experience when someone's prayed for you and you felt the presence of God so powerfully that you can't stand up. You put your hands up if that's ever happened before. A few. It's quite a... It's quite a strange experience, but a wonderful experience at the same time. You feel so loved and nurtured. You can feel God's love, but also at the same time, you're overwhelmed by God's power, and you don't even have the ability to stand. Now, these guys that came to arrest Jesus came with weapons, etc., soldiers on the ready, just in case anything kicked off, and they're not expecting anything. And yet, God's power turns up and knocks them on their backside. There will come a day when every knee will bow to Jesus. Every knee. Those who believe and don't believe, it doesn't matter. Every knee will bow. And in this moment, God demonstrated his power that he was in control and could overcome all of these uh, soldiers and guards, etc. But Jesus willingly went. But another thing to notice from this scripture as the story goes on, Jesus had asked the disciples to pray beforehand. He knew it was about to happen. You need to be tuned in in prayer, boys, to know what's going to happen here. But Peter wakes up, as we read further on in this this passage, and Peter thinks, I need to defend Jesus here. He's not tuned into the plan. Jesus knows the plan. He's willingly going, and he's having a wee demonstration of his power. Boom, I'll knock these boys on their backside first. Um, And they get back up, and uh, he goes willingly with them. But Peter wakes up from his slumber with his snail trail still on his face and the deafness of his own snoring in his ear and says, I need to defend Jesus here and whips out a sword and doesn't attack one of the soldiers, one of the gruff soldiers who's armed, but he goes after one of the unarmed servants and with great precision somehow knocks off the boy's ear. Not the kind of thing you would do with a sword, I don't think. Embarrassing, in fact. And Jesus tells him, Put your sword away. You're embarrassing yourself. You're embarrassing me. It's not part of the plan. And Jesus heals the servant by putting his ear back on. In this moment of great torment for Jesus, he still shows love and compassion and heals the servant who comes to arrest him. Amazing. But it's Peter I would like you to focus on at this point. eh? Peter, who was supposed to be praying 
to get tapped into God's instructions, to be part of the plan, to understand what's going on. And Jesus said, will you pray so that you will not fall into temptation, that you'll be ready for the trials and the tests that are about to come? Peter is not ready because he has not prayed. He's been snoring his head off. And so he decides, I better do something. Not that God needs to do something here. Peter says, I better do something. And he whips out his sword and with the skill of a fisherman, knocks off somebody's ear. (laughs) Embarrassing. And the thing is, as in this church, as in this Western church collectively, but as in Whitburn Pentecostal Church, unless we are tapped in in prayer, anything we do is based on our own ideas and our own agenda And we will be fruitless and embarrassing if we jump forward in our own strength without knowing what God's plan is. Our third scripture is going back to um, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 27. And reading from verse 45. Matthew 27, and reading from verse 45. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came all over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. The greatest moment in history happened that day. The moment that literally shook the world. As Jesus died and fulfilled God's plan at that time, the earth shook. God shook the earth, sent an earthquake, and cracked open tombs and resurrected many people. I don't know if you've ever glossed over that before when you've read the Gospels. It's kind of a strange part of the Gospel. The moment Jesus died, many people were raised back to life. Other people resurrected who went on to become witnesses of the risen Christ. At that moment, Jesus was conquering death. He was in that process. It was all prophesied. He said this was going to happen. This was all part of God's master plan. Nobody is good enough to earn their own salvation. I need to give the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is perfect. He will lay down his life as the one time only sacrifice that needs to happen. It's the only perfect sacrifice. And Jesus willingly laid down his life. He even said to his friends, his disciples before he went, greater love has no man than this, 
that he would lay down his life for his friend. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He laid down his life. News for us is that he has accomplished our salvation for us. We can't earn it for all the rubbish things we've done in our life, for every mistake we've made, for every moment that we've fallen short. There's nothing that we can do to repair that. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing that we can do to restore our reputation with God apart from one thing, and that's to accept Jesus' death as payment for our sins, that Jesus has paid the price, that he's atoned for us. That's the good news. I love the way that um, the gospel is summed up in the Roman roads. I'm just going to quickly share five verses of scripture for those who would really like to articulate the gospel. It's difficult uh, when somebody says to you, if someone in the street said to you, what is the gospel that you guys keep drumming on about? It's difficult. It's like somebody coming up to you and saying, explain to me what your marriage is like. You know, your marriage is everything. My marriage is everything. I've got a great wife. (laughs) Thanks for smiling. (laughs) (laughs) It's difficult if somebody says, tell me about your, your marriage. Explain what your marriage means to you. Well, it means everything, but it's difficult to put it into words. And sometimes it's the same when somebody said, tell me about this Jesus that you believe in, or what is the gospel? It's difficult to articulate it because it's everything. And how do you, how do you summarize everything into some short words? So it's in Scripture. Here's five verses, if you want to take a note of them. These are the Roman road to salvation that explains the whole gospel in five verses. Romans 3.23 All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means all of us need salvation, Romans 3.23. Why do we need salvation? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Fantastic. Why does God want to save us? Because he loves us. And he tells us in Romans 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his love for us and that whilst we were still sinners, whilst we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. So how do we get saved from eternal death? We accept Jesus' death as payment for the punishment we deserve for our wrongs, our sin, and in accepting his payment, we give our lives to him in service. So Romans 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised Jesus from the dead, then you are saved. You are saved. And lastly, who can be saved? Everybody. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is good news. Nobody's too far away from God. Hallelujah. Nobody's too far removed from God to be saved. No matter what you've done, no matter how embarrassed you are by what you've done in the past, it doesn't matter. God's love is greater than that. And God wants to save everybody. He wants to have eternal life with everybody. I love one of the verses from Psalms that said that God has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. I got my geography right there. Is that east over there? Is that east over there? Let me cover my bases here. 
God has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. As far as the east is from the west. As far as the east is from the west. Okay. <laughs> God symbolizes that in, in this passage that we've just read. That whilst Jesus died, the very moment that Jesus died and went into hell, he raised back to life those who were, who were in tombs. If you're wondering what hell is, I was speaking at a conference a few weeks ago in Nottingham. Not that I'm saying that Nottingham is hell. That's not what I'm trying to say. But wait till I get to the bit in the story. <laughs> I love speaking at these Christian conferences. I'm usually the warm-up guy um, before the big speaker comes, and I love listening to these speakers, men of great faith or women of great faith who, who God has performed miraculous things through. And this speaker a few weeks ago in Nottingham, he's been an evangelist for over 50 years. He's an old boy. Over 50 years, God has worked through him in Eastern Europe and in Israel and in the Middle East. My goodness, the stories were fantastic. But one that really stood out for me was that uh, when communist Russia was in, when the whole of Eastern Europe was communist, I've got a Latvian brother here today, yes. When it was communist, he started a, a travel company as a disguise to take uh, a bus into Eastern Europe, and he converted parts of this bus to stow away two tons of Bibles. So every time he had a busload of tourists, he was going into Eastern Europe, meeting up with the uh, underground Christian leaders of the time and giving out two tons of God's Word every time he went in. Absolutely fantastic. Superb. But then somebody tipped him off, the authorities off, and he was arrested in the Czech Republic, and he was sentenced to 20 years in a communist prison. 20 years. And that first year, he said, was the worst year of his life. He had no contact with outside world. Even, everybody, even though people were writing to him and sending clothes and food and things, he got none of it for a year. And he said, and worse than that, he said, for the first time in my life, as I prayed every day, I did not hear God. It was horrendous, he said. And, and he got tortured two or three times a week. Some days they didn't feed him. In the winter, they took um, uh, any extra clothes that he had away just so he would suffer through the entire winter in this cold communist jail. And he never heard from God. And he said, it came to a culmination after a year. I said, I still prayed every day. And he says, one day I got incredibly angry. And I said, it's okay for you, God, up there with your choirs of angels living in paradise. He said, this is hell on earth. I, I have been abandoned by you. And God spoke to him and says, correct. He says, for one year I have abandoned you so that you understand what hell is. Hell is separation from me. You've experienced it for a year. I'm now going to release you from this jail, and I want you to save the lost and go out there with a new passion because you understand what they're being saved from, separation from me. You've lived it, hell on earth for a year. And the next day, he was released 19 years early from prison when the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom had entered the Czech Republic and negotiated his release. And he said, I was on the plane home with the Prime Minister. And he said to me, you know, I have absolutely no idea why I've done this. He says, it's, I've, I've maybe committed political suicide here. It was a big risk. 
And he says, I know exactly why you did it. My heavenly father told you to do it, whether you liked it or not, and it's happened. But there you are, that's what hell is, a separation from God. And he doubled and tripled and quadrupled his efforts in evangelism because he knew what people needed to be saved from. My goodness. Matthew 28, reading from uh, verse 1, is our next passage. After the Sabbath, at the dawn, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake from an an, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and has gone ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, and they came to him, they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. I love this passage. Again, God's power is a demonstration here that when the angel came down and rolled the stone away, the earth shook. And I love this picture of the, uh, the Roman guard. These guys had conquered the known world at the time, the Romans. They were the hardest army to ever march on the earth. And yet when confronted with God's power, they were terrified. They peed their pants. <laughs> and they fainted. That's what they did. They fainted when they saw God's power manifest in front of them. I find that funny. I love this guy. Um, with the whole kind of rabbit caught in the headlights type look on him. Uh, fantastic. But amazing that Jesus rose three days after he was crucified. He rose victorious over death. He said he would, and he did it. And it's the one main reason I believe that we can trust the, the gospel, because Jesus rose from the dead. Hallelujah, he rose from the dead. He has conquered death. We no longer have to fear death. We will not die. We have eternal life. My goodness, we're going to a fantastic place when this mortal life is over. And we're going to spend eternity with our Heavenly Father in a place that He's prepared for us. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. And the Scriptures tell us as well that this power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. Does that excite you? That this power that raised Jesus from the dead, this power that sent the angel out of heaven, that rolled the stone away, that shook the ground, that made the soldiers pee their pants, this power is in you. And God has given you the power to live life as he's called you to. Do you feel it? Do you feel the power? One of the things the speaker that uh, was at Nottingham, the guy that was in the, the Czech prison that got released, 
um, he had actually finished speaking. And uh, he walked back onto the platform at the end once he has finished speaking. He says, oh, he says, I just have to share this. And he spoke on this verse to say that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. And he just shared over the whole weekend uh, three times he was up sharing. That was about four and a half hours he shared for. About miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle of tens of thousands of people coming to faith. And he said, you know, there is zero difference between you and I because we have the same power within us. So he said, what are you doing with that power? Are you making it available in all areas of your life because the only barrier to that power working in your life is you? And it's true, the only barrier to that power working in your life is you. If you're falling asleep in your faith, if your prayer life has gone so quiet that you could fall asleep, then God's not going to work through you. It's a wake-up call. It really is a wake-up call. I would have loved to have seen that stone getting rolled away. I would have probably peed my pants with laughter watching those Romans pass out with fear. Next verse is from Acts chapter 2. And reading from verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, and familia, I don't think I pronounced that right, but we'll go with it anyway. Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, 
was a man accredited by God to do to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This fills me with a lot of hope, this passage. That the disciples, the ones who at the start of today's talk, are the ones that fell asleep when Jesus asked them to pray. They're the ones that ran away after he was arrested. They were the ones that denied them when they were tested. And yet Jesus did not wash his hands of them. He forgave them and said, I'm going to continue to choose you. All I want you now to do is be obedient. Go to Galilee. You'll see me. That's what he said at the resurrection to Mary. They went to Galilee. He had breakfast with them on the beach, which was nice. A wee bit of barbecued fish. Awesome. They chilled. They had some laughs. They had a go at Peter for his denial, etc. Jesus restored them after that. I said, now I want you boys to go to Jerusalem because something special is going to happen. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Now, quite a simple request. Just go over there and something great is going to happen. We started today with Jesus saying, just you go over there and pray. And yet they couldn't even follow that simple instruction. They didn't follow that simple instruction and so they embarrassed themselves later because they weren't tuned into the plan. Peter got his sword out and started playing Peter Pan. 
embarrassed himself. But this time, Peter's got a wee bit of focus on. He's got his game face on. Right, I'm getting a second chance. Awesome. You want us to go to Jerusalem? I'm there. Right, boys, come with me. We're off to Jerusalem. And so they went to Jerusalem, and they waited, and they prayed. All they did was be obedient. And then God turned up and poured out his Holy Spirit with tongues of fire. And then these uneducated, uninfluential, unwealthy, unresourced men went out, 11 of them, the guys that had ran away, the guys that had fell asleep, they went out and allowed God to work through them. And 3,000 people came to faith in God in that one moment, simply because they were obedient and they prayed. That's all that God is asking of us right now. Will you be obedient and will you pray? Because unless we pray and get tuned into his plan, whatever we do is fruitless. That's a worrying thought. But if we do the simple thing and pray and not fall asleep in prayer, but pray and listen to the plan and follow those tiny small details, the fruit can be amazing. Let's go to the last scripture, which is Acts chapter 4, reading from verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Prior to this passage, Peter and John have just been to pray, and they've came out from where they were praying. Uh, there was a, a beggar there, a paralyzed man, and Peter and John said, don't have any money to give you, but we'll all give you what we can give you. And they said, in Jesus' name, be healed. And he was healed. This guy was born paralyzed, had been paralyzed for 40 years. And now the authorities have got wind of this because everybody's talking about it. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming the Jesus uh, and Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they've done an outstanding miracle. And we cannot deny it. 
But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lords, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I love the passage of the six scriptures of Luke that we started off with these apostles who said they'd do anything for Jesus and yet they can't even stay awake. They fall asleep and they're giving it big Zs and still are praying instead of praying. And then they embarrass themselves when they wake up. They wave a sword about and then they run away and they deny Jesus. Embarrassing, shambolic. But God still has his plan unfolding. And he surrenders himself, Jesus, surrenders himself to the authorities and willingly lays down his life. And God's power is evidence in every part. When he's getting arrested, boom, knocks them on their backside. When he gets crucified, boom, the earth is shaken with God's power and the dead are raised back to life. When he's resurrected, boom, God's power shakes the earth again as the stone is rolled away and Jesus walks forth victorious. I'm back. And then eventually, these disciples are obedient. They follow the simple instructions. Just go to Jerusalem, wait and pray, and see what happens. And they do. They go to Jerusalem. They don't mess up. They don't fall asleep. They follow the simple instruction, and they wait and pray, and boom, Pentecost happens. God sends his Holy Spirit and 3,000 people come to faith that day. And as they go on from there, obviously excited by what's happened and saying, that was good. We followed God's instructions. Great things happened. Let's do this again. My goodness, it's pretty simple. It's child stuff when you think about it. We didn't follow his instructions to start off with. We fell asleep and it all went pear-shaped for us. 
we embarrass ourselves. We followed his instructions. My goodness, boom, fantastic. God's power came into us, and 3,000 people miraculously came to faith. Let's have some more of this. So they go and they pray, they heal a, a cripple, they get arrested, but 5,000 people come to faith. And then after they've been threatened, don't you do this again? They've just came out of jail. They've been threatened by the authorities, the ones that killed Jesus. And they said, don't you dare. Don't you dare even mention that name again or you'll be back in here. They might even kill you. And what did they do? They said, that's fair enough. You boys are in charge. We'll take the rap on the knuckles. We'll just keep it calm from now on. No, they go back. They share everything that's happened. And then they all stand up together and say, God, give us more of this. We want more of this. There is nothing like having your power flow through us. And there is nothing like seeing miracles happen. There is nothing like bringing the lost into your kingdom. Give us more of it. doesn't matter what happens to us. We don't care. We really don't care about ourselves anymore. We just want to do your will. Give us more. Give us more opportunity. Let's see what's going to happen. That is a fantastic journey. And that's God's word for our church today. It's time to be honest and real about how we are performing in our faith walk. Yes, we all want to be there with Jesus every step of the way. Whatever you're doing, Lord, I'm there. I'll do it for you. No questions asked. But there's so many of us falling asleep in the midst of all of that when we should be praying. And when we're not praying... We're not hearing. And when we're not hearing, we're stepping out in our own understanding. And we're fruitless. But imagine how much it would rock our world if we are simply obedient in prayer every day and saying, Lord, what do you want to happen in Whitburn Pentecostal Church? What do you want to happen in Whitburn? And we get some instruction from God, some simple instruction, and we follow it. Would it not rock our world if God brought 5,000 people in the community of Whitburn to faith? Do you long for that to happen is the big question. Are you passionate about the lost? Or is all of this just about us and enjoying a Sunday together and enjoying the worship and enjoying God's presence? I'm excited by this word. I believe God has, has asked me to say that in 2018, if we fervently pray like the disciples did in Acts chapter 4, if we fervently pray, God will give instruction. If our passion is there and we are obedient in prayer, God will speak to us and give us specific instructions for what we have to do in Whitburn in 2018. I believe God is saying that. And that excites me. I had, had a, in the last couple of years, in another Christian organization I'm involved in, I've had the biggest lesson I've ever had in Christian leadership. This organization has been on the go for 50, 60 years, ran out of resources, ran out of members, and we ran out of our, our ideas of how to run this organization, an outreach organization. And once we ran out of our ideas, and we got to an appointment of a point where things were pretty embarrassing. We got down on our knees and we begged in prayer, Lord, will you tell us what to do? I know you've called us to do this work and we're making a backside of it. Will you tell us what to do? 
and we got some very specific instructions to change so much of what we were doing and do things that we had never done before. And we were afraid. It was out with our comfort zone. But we followed those instructions. Part of the instructions were to go into social media. And we knew nothing about social media apart from putting up our holiday pictures. But God told us specifically how to um, put uh, testimonies up in a a way that um, the world would be drawn to. Not just pure testimonies, but there's uh, life stories in there. And there's things that people could learn about how to be successful, etc. But in the midst of all of that... There is testimony about the risen God. And we thought, oh, but all the stuff we've done before, it's all testimony, Lord. We've got to just talk about you. That's evangelism. And he said, are you listening to me? I want you to put stuff up, and I'm only going to be 10% of the stuff you put up. You need to put up good quality stuff that's going to draw people in, and 10% of it's me, and they'll find me in the midst of it. That was two years ago. And with a handful of guys doing this, We now have 170,000 followers on Twitter and we're across Facebook and Instagram. And in the last year, 10 million people have seen our little videos. 10 million people have had testimony in their hand, on their mobile phone or on their screen, on their iPad, all because we followed God's instruction. And there's been tremendous fruit came back from that of people coming to faith and people moving on in their faith. It's been absolutely brilliant none of that was in our minds but we prayed in a a point of true prayer begging God to tell us what to do I believe the word for us today is that we have to beg God to tell us what to do in Whitburn in 2018 I'm excited about that because there is a bountiful fruit ahead of us who dares not to believe that thousands of people could come to faith in Whitburn what's impossible for God But I'm also nervous too. I mean, it's going to be fantastic if we follow that instruction and this church grows and bears fruit and we we feed the hungry and clothe the naked and and help um, addicts be free of their addiction and and help families to to grow closer together and help people to find their full purpose in life and to fulfill their full potential that God's placed in them. And we can be a a shining light in, in, in this community in Whitburn. I'm excited by all of that. Deeply excited. But I'm nervous too about this word because if we as a church do not follow this word, we're going to be fruitless. That panics me. That deeply disturbs me. The last thing I would want is for our church to be the church that Jesus speaks about in Revelation 2, the church in Ephesus. We used to do great things together, but somewhere along the way, you lost part of your love for me. And now you've accepted mediocrity. That disturbs me. That is the word for today. Can I just ask that we stand? Musicians, come back up, please. I'm just going to pray. Uh, Time is marching on. Um, But I really feel that we need to respond to what we've heard today. And, you know, we need to do something different. Our response is to do something different, okay? And I'll tell you how I do things differently. When I do things different, my diary changes, okay? So in order to do something different, you need to put something in your diary that's going to be, that's going to make this week different, 
Okay? There's no point in standing up here and sticking up a hand and responding and saying whatever you're going to say in response to a message like we've heard today. It needs to happen in our diaries for next week. That's where the response is. Um, let's not muck about here, okay? This is serious work, serious business. The business of the church is a serious business. And if we're going to do something, it needs to be a concrete thing that we do. It needs to be something that we can keep up, not just because somebody tells us to, but because we're responding to what God is saying in our hearts. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you for what we've heard today. And Father, we are deeply challenged by what we hear. And Father, challenged to go deeper in our walk with you. Father, not to be like the disciples who slept on the watch where they should have been awake, but Father, to be alert. And Father, we've been thinking about uh, our enemy who prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he may devour. Father, the reason that we're thinking about these things is because we're in a spiritual battle. Father, we know that the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, to come against, and to bring harm, and to bring disunity and disruption. Father, to stop the church from proceeding in the things which you have called her to do. But Father, we stand this day, and we uh, say before you, uh, Father, that we are going to do something different and uh, in our lives, Father, we're not just going to accept the status quo. We're not going to accept mediocrity. Father, we're going to do something that's different. And this week, we're going to do something that's different. And Father, come before you in prayer and to be a church that is awake and listening to what you have to say to us. And so, Father, we just pray that you would draw us into that place. Father, as we come together to pray in groups, uh, Father, as we come in our own personal times before you, Father, we pray that you would begin to do something new and different in our prayer lives as well. And so, Father, we, we, we just thank you for this word today. Lord, we pray that you would help us to take it to heart, to meditate on it, and, Father, just to be aware of what the Spirit would say to each of us and to the church. So, Father, we pray now as we give of our tithes and offerings and worship to you as we sing, that again, Father, you would be glorified in that and that you'd fulfill your purposes. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in this church as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.